Welcome to the Dilemma Dudes Podcast, where we discuss moral dilemmas, ethical questions, and various would-you-rather scenarios. Although, this might sound like a serious podcast, it's definitely not. So come along with us, and let's deliberate some dilemmas. Theme song! To the Dilemma Dudes podcast. <laughs> what? I felt like there was, was more just, to that sentence. I was just going to wait to see if one of you said something. Oh, no. it's not. It's fine. It's whatever. I feel like you just like deleted half of the sentence you're going to say. <laughs> well, I, I didn't know. I was going to say more, but you know, I just didn't want to say too much. I wanted to give you right, guys a chance to, yes. to say a couple words. But you didn't even jump on the opportunity, so... Listen, it's 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> That's, like, not even early. <laughs> it is for me, man. I feel tired, but it's the fact... I'm just ashamed of the fact that 11 a.m. in the morning feels, like, early. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, welcome to the Dilemma Dudes podcast, and today we have a special guest. They're not here right this second. No, but we're no. going to tell you all about them before we bring you to them. Um, so today we have a, a, a professor. We told you we were going to have an ethics professor on. And um, his name is Anthony Skelton. And Anthony Skelton is a philosophy professor at the University of Western Ontario. He specializes in the history of ethics, normative ethics, and practical ethics. He has published works on subjects such as bioethics in Canada, a collection of essays called Consenting Children, and a monograph called Sidgwick's Ethics. Um, he was really great to talk to, and yeah. I think you guys are going to find a lot of valuable insights. Um, you know, it's going to be a bit more of an educational podcast than we might typically have. <laughs> I still wouldn't call us an educational podcast, but, you know, maybe a couple educational episodes here and there. <laughs> we're, a, we're a non-educational podcast that brings on educated people. <laughs> exactly. There you go. But uh, enjoy our interview with Anthony Skelton. Well, thanks again for, you know, hopping on and uh, entertaining us and our curiosities. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We've been doing this for like over 20 episodes now, and we've yet to have someone that's actually educated on anything talk about stuff. <laughs> so well, we're looking forward to um, learn about ethics and morals and how they all tie together and how to deal with dilemmas in the proper way, not just, you know, our made up. Uh, humorous ways yeah like we're all we're all improvisers and like comedians so it's, <laughs> we kind of go from that point of view but <laughs> so we wanted to know a little bit about um ethics in general like uh when you when we talk about moral dilemmas like if you're looking at ethical issues how is one supposed to like come at ethical issues and stuff so um as i said i teach philosophy and so philosophers uh, typically um you know, come to ethics with a certain kind of, um, you know, general orientation. So um, for, for philosophers, if you're interested in ethics, uh, really what you're interested in is um, broad questions of um, what's right and what's wrong, and also uh, what things are good and what things are bad. So those are sort of the kind of general issues you're going to focus on. Um, and those are generally speaking what we call normative issues. So if you say, for example, you ought to keep your promises, um, you're telling someone, 
here's what you should do. You're prescribing a course of action. You would say, look, if you don't keep your promises, you're, you're, you're doing the wrong thing and you're open to some kind of criticism. If I say to you, pleasure's good, I'm saying, you know, pleasure is something that's worth having. It's worth getting, right? So those are sort of um, the broad set of questions, what things are right and wrong, what things are good and bad, and they're normative questions. And the philosopher will kind of study them from a whole variety of different angles. The Possibly the most interesting um, area you can work in is really where you're talking about kind of questions of principle. So when you say um, an action is right or wrong, you're going to be appealing to certain kinds of factors. Like, so if you harm somebody, that's typically thought to be a reason against doing something, right? So, right. so the one principle is, you know, you shouldn't harm people. But, you know, you probably also should benefit people. It's considered to be, you know, good if you benefit someone or, or maybe an action that benefits someone is, to some extent, something that you have reason to do. And so, you know, um, that's a case in which, um, you know, you're, again, prescribing a, a course of action. Um, but you're kind of articulating a principle that, you know, you should benefit people. So two principles you might think are don't harm, but, you know, you should benefit. And so then you start to think about these in a theoretical way and build your principles like that. And then that will hopefully help you figure out what to do in these more um, practical issues where you have dilemmas, right? So, you know, is it okay for me, for example, um, uh, to tell someone a lie if it's going to be beneficial to me or if it's going to be beneficial to something I really care about? Right. So yeah, right. then okay. you start to think about the dilemmas and then you start to think about your principles. And one of the greatest things about, um, you know, the philosophical study of ethics is you find out that sometimes the principles that look really good in the abstract aren't so great when it comes to thinking about what to do in practice. You know, of course, we should benefit people. But um, does that mean um, we're allowed to torture people in order to benefit other people? Unclear. Right. Of right. course, we should avoid harming people. But look, if someone's going to harm you, is it okay to harm them to stop them from harming you or harming people you care about? Right. So those are just sort of some of the kind of abstract issues that philosophers discuss. There are many other issues. And typically, um, you know, you're going to study these issues from, from the point of view or for the purpose of clarifying what to do in your daily life. Yeah, we've talked about that before on this podcast about like ultimately like our um, armchair theory that we came to was, yes, if something harms someone, it's bad. But then always the argument is like people might have different definitions of what harm yeah. is, specifically with like some moral things. Um, we all grew up in the church and in the church you're taught like, oh, sex before marriage is bad. And so some people would say like, if you do that, that's harming you. Whereas other people with different worldviews would yeah. say that that's not harmful. So what, like what is when you look at that, is that a difference of like, morals versus ethics is there a difference there so it's hard to know exactly what kind of difference there would be i think often we tend to use morals and ethics interchangeably right so if you say something is morally unacceptable that's probably similar to saying that that thing is unethical to say that something is morally okay is probably the same thing as saying it's ethical i mean there may be some differences in terms of the origins of the terms Right. But but in terms of sort of when we're thinking about uh, the kinds of dilemmas that you're interested in, you could use the terms sort of in interchangeably or 
um, you know, in substitute for each other. I mean, there might be some ways in which you say, well, look, um, a, a, a church or um, a, a religious sect might have a moral code, right? They might have a set of norms which they think are ones they should prescribe. So they shouldn't, you know, have sex before marriage. They should honor their mother and father, right? They shouldn't covet thy neighbor's goods. You know, all kinds of religious types of rules. That's a kind mm -hmm. of a kind of moral code, right? You might think if you wanted to, you know, distinguish between ethics and morals is that morals is sort of, you know, a, a kind of conventional code that some group has adopted. And ethics might be something, you know, that that sort of philosophers do as a kind of abstract thing where, where they kind of bring to bear kind of more general thoughts of, an, of, of a kind of normative nature or principles to, to think about those uh, those kinds of morals. But 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 by and large, I think the terms are are really probably interchangeable. Well, we can, on that note, we'll dive into some dilemmas. We'll get back to the talk about ethics as a whole, because sure. we all find it quite interesting, obviously, which is why we do a podcast about moral and ethical dilemmas, because we're yeah. interested in it. But I wanted to talk about, we've done this uh, dilemma on our podcast before. So if anyone listening has, has heard it, uh, we're going to talk about it again, because I don't think we ever came to the, we came to a consensus about the, Rob, it's the Robin Hood dilemma. We came to a consensus about it. Probably not the most ethically correct one, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So basically, the 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 dilemma goes: you are in a you are an eyewitness to a crime. A man has robbed a bank, but instead of keeping the money for himself, he donates it to a poor orphanage that can now afford to feed, clothe, and care for its children. You know who committed the crime. If you go to the authorities with the information, there's a good chance the money will be returned to the bank, leaving a lot of kids in need with help. Uh, what do you do? Um, when we discussed this, I don't know if you guys remember, one of you guys want to understand what our, our... I remember a little bit about <laughs> yeah. it. It was like maybe the second episode. Yeah. And we, I think we, we decided that like, personally, we would leave the money in the orphanage. Did we not? Yeah. Maybe we didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, we did. <laughs> yeah. I think so we the said consensus you... that you came to was it would be permissible to leave the money with the orphanage. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think our conclusion was, you know, like the bank has insurance. It's this big corporation. There's these right. people in need. They're being helped. Uh, they can fit the, you know, the big corporation can figure it out. We want to help the little guy, I think was kind of our consensus. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know if that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, um, the money is stolen. Is that the idea? Yeah. 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 So the sort of question might be, well, look, on the face of it, uh, stealing taking someone's property is, is wrong. Yeah. Right. One of the things um, that you'll probably be unsurprised to find out is it's part of the idea of ownership or property that if you have a right to property or to what you own, um, that means you have the right to exclude other people. Right. So if you own a parcel of land uh, and you have a right over that land, you have the right to say to somebody, you can't cross it. Even if it's beneficial for them to cross it, you can stop them from doing it and you can enforce right. that right. So here's a case in which, look, someone has the money. Let's suppose um, the bank or whoever's deposited the money has, has um, come by that money honestly. So they haven't stolen it themselves or it hasn't been um, earned through slavery or something where we think, you know, that's not an acceptable way to earn money. Um, and um, so, so, so that, so you might think, look, if that's the case, the stealing it would be, would be wrong. 
And so then, you know, there, and, and, and one way we might articulate that wrong is, is that if you're stealing it, you're kind of violating the bank's right. And, and maybe more specifically, you're, you're violating the rights of the, of the customers, right? Because right. presumably somebody's money is being uh, taken. It's just not the banks abstractly. Um, you know, maybe accounts are being accessed or uh, things of this nature. Um, okay, so that, so that, that looks like you might say, look, that's a mark against it, right? That, that's like, there's a pretty strong reason against it. And, yeah. and again, you don't, you, maybe you don't even know who's being affected by it. Maybe those accounts are held by like, you know, really poor people. And, you know, they're going to have a really hard, hard time getting it back. True. Maybe they have language barriers, right? Yeah, Maybe yeah. they're, um, you know, not that tech savvy, right? And they're going to be like, hey, my money is gone. I have no idea. Maybe maybe the bank won't be that sympathetic to them and be like, well, maybe it's your fault, right? right. So, so, it, so, you know, there's a lot of factors there that you're just not aware of. And, and in some ways, that kind of adds an extra, an extra element to it because in addition to, you know, you taking someone's property, like stealing, um, you know, you could be harming people. You could be harming people quite significantly, right? Sure, the bank might have insurance. So, the, so of course, the bank's not going to be in problem. But again, the bank is, you know, not going to just be like, okay, we got stolen. We'll get the insurance and everything will be fine. You know, right. ba banks, banks tend to impose costs on other people, namely their customers, right? So they yeah. increase fees, they make it difficult for people. You're all banking, so you know uh, what that's like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've got nothing against banks, but you know how that kind of thing works. And, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, but you're balancing that against, okay, well, look, um, uh, someone's going to benefit from this money, uh, namely uh, this charity that you're giving the money to. And so the question is, will they really benefit? So it is, for example... Uh, the uh, recipients of the money going to spend it wisely. Maybe they've got some CEOs, right, who are, um, you know, getting really high uh, 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 off of, um, you know, the donations and, you know, they're giving a little bit to to children. I mean, maybe the dilemma was that the children would definitely benefit. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, of course, that that's a reason in favor of it. you might think, hey, that's 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 a but but. Um, you know, you have to weigh that against the harms that the theft will cause and also the fact that it's a theft, it's a violation of someone's property. And you probably want to say, all things considered, it's pretty risky to do that because you, you'd be unsure that they really would benefit, right? And you would be unsure whether or not the benefit would outweigh the harms. Hmm. So probably what I would argue is that if you're going to put time and effort into something that's going to produce some good, you probably should work more hours. Okay. I don't know how much dilemma dudes makes you, but you can work more hours, right? And probably give a bit of your uh, income away to, in particular, very, very um, efficient charities. So there's a yeah. meta charity called Give Well, which uh, rates other charities, in particular charitable interventions. And it can tell you if you want to get bang for your buck, here are the charities for you to. That's one way. But also, secondly, you could, you know, advocate that other people, your friends, maybe use even Dilemma Dudes, like I'm using it to raise awareness about this, right? And say, look, there's these people who are in need. And the long-term way to do it is to try to raise awareness, get people donating, and try to structure society in a way that's um, more equitable. That's a long-term strategy. It's not as sexy, obviously, as theft, but probably all <laughs> things considered, right? It might be the right 
way to go. The 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 yeah. path toward justice and equity is always the, the longest one. It, it turns yeah. out, but it's probably the one you want to go for. So that's probably how I would I would um, sort of think about this. But of course, there's going to be lots of cases where um, something unethical as a means is definitely going to be permissible right for the purpose of achieving some really desirable end so okay so some rich dude's walking along the road you know he's rich um you know he has more money than he could possibly um ever spend and even if he spent it he would get very small gains of happiness um he drops his wallet uh, it's full of like a million bucks he's probably not gonna miss it right and even if he yeah, does it's gonna I'm last for like wallet, five for sure. seconds steal the wallet right Take the wallet or don't return the wallet. Just and then you know, shovel it toward the charity. All right, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. That's still (laughs) a violation of a property right, I guess, in some ways, because it's a sort of theft. Um, You're also not committing an entire bank heist. Um, (laughs) There's no risk of going to prison for you. We're gonna we're gonna assume you're a good person, so it's not like you know, taking the wallet and not returning is gonna corrupt your character, right? so I think in those cases, yeah, that might be, they're probably fairly stylized cases, but there are going to mm-hmm. be some cases where that's, that's okay, right? Where it's okay, you know, to, 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 to use a sort of um, unethical means to achieve an end or to break a, a, a kind of pretty good ethical rule in general for the purpose of achieving some, some good end. And of course, these are the, uh, you know, so it's a great example. These are the kinds of cases where we think about when we talk about, you know, is any means... Uh, uh, permissible to take to some end you really value? Are there limitations on the sort of means you can use to your end? So I mentioned one at the beginning, right? You might think, look, even if we could improve public safety uh, quite a bit, um, it wouldn't be okay for us to do that by threatening to or actually torturing people. We might think that's not an acceptable way to treat people no matter what the benefits are. So that's not a legitimate means we can take. But not returning a really wealthy guy's wallet who's not going to miss it, eh, maybe that's okay. He probably has another one in the, in the other pocket. That... <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, exactly. I guess, I guess a big chunk of, you know, like, I don't know, I could be wrong here, but a big chunk of talk about, like, ethics and morals and stuff is finding out where your line is. Like, what is the difference between robbing the bank and, you know, not returning that guy's wallet to yourself? Like, what is that personal yeah. code to you? I guess that's a decent chunk of it, at least. Yeah, I mean, so people sometimes talk about, you know, what what are your personal limits? What are your what are your uh, uh, lines that you you wouldn't or shouldn't cross? Um, I don't know whether it, it makes sense to say, well, my ethics is personal. Like, I think whenever you're making an ethical judgment, like if I say, oh, it's perfectly fine not to return the wallet, I'm kind of you know making it so that you know I think no matter who finds themselves in that position, that's an okay thing. To do right? right so it's hard to know whether you know what's right for me will be right for you right mm-hmm. unless there's some difference in the circumstances between us right so so most moral judgments one of the marks of moral judgments or moral claims is just that they tend to what philosophers call universalize they mm-hmm. tend to imply that if anyone were to find themselves you know in the case in which um you know, they could rob a bank and give to the poor. If, if I say it's not okay, um, you know, provided the person is roughly like me, it wouldn't be okay for me and it wouldn't be okay for them. That makes sense. Because uh, I think what, like you talked about at the beginning, which I think was a perspective that we never thought about was like 
the when customers of the bank. Yeah, the yeah. customers of the bank. When you <laughs> when you compare, like, okay, well, sure, we're saving all these kids at the charity, but now we're screwing over the people, the customers at the bank. Yeah. Whereas I think it's different with the the one guy dropping his wallet. To me, then that's that's pretty clear cut. Yeah, yeah there's a He's lot less collateral damage because I think I think the, when yeah, we because of we course originally... banks are always going to make their money back, right? And how are they going to do it? Well. <laughs> they're going to Customers. impose costs on us right yeah. when yeah. we originally talked about it it was it was very much like this orphanage versus the bank as a corporation rather than yeah we didn't even think about us as like customers of a bank <laughs> yeah i mean you might put it like this suppose the bank ceo is walking to her car with with a you know a a, a suitcase full of cash and she's just you know cashed her paycheck this would never happen now of course <laughs> uh, uh, you know and, you know, she's not going to miss it. Uh, you know, she's not going to spend it very effectively, leaves it on the roadside and drives away. You might think, OK, in that case, you know, it, it's it, it's unclear whether it's the right thing to do to return it or not. If, if the choice is that you would then give it to other people who would benefit much, much more than 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 she would. Yeah, that definitely, I think, opened her eyes. It's like I, I you definitely have to like with these ethical dilemmas, just like we do it on here, like just dive in and it's like, it's almost like a math formula. Like how many people is this going to affect if I go this way? How many people yeah. is it going to affect if I go that way? Like the trolley problem is famous for that too, I guess, of like the five people versus one. But then it's like, I mean, we could talk about that. Yeah. I guess it's probably a good one to talk about. Yeah. Because... So of course, yeah, that's right. So part of ethical thinking involves these sorts of um, cases where you're weighing uh, costs and benefits to different groups of people. Of course, that's only one part of ethical thinking, but it's a pretty important part. I mean, if anything's true, um, you know, we've probably learned that pretty clearly in the context of the pandemic, where we have been saying, look, lots of people have to accept the cost of staying home and avoiding certain kinds of social interactions and, and doing certain kinds of things so that we can save the lives of other people who would be, you know, um, jeopardized if we carried on as though, you know, there wasn't a disease or um, yeah. uh, infection uh, spreading around. Yeah, with the I think with the trolley problem, it's like, well, obviously you want to save the more people, but then like where we got torn up and I think where most people get torn up is like, but you can also like not take any action and then your hands are like clean of it, if that makes sense. Like by 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 pulling the, the lever to, you know, only hit uh, one person. Well, now you've like kind of put yourself into that situation when yeah. you didn't need to. Yeah, so I mean, typically the trolley case will be okay. You know, it's the trolley's hurtling down the track. At the present moment, the the tracks are set so that it goes, you know, to the left where there's five people. Um, if you pull the switch, you'll redirect the trolley away from the five onto another track. Mm -hmm. Sadly, there's one person on there who who will die. And so the question is, what should you what should you do? So of course, I guess one answer is you could just walk away. And so um, uh, I guess the assumption is that we have some duty of beneficence of some kind, right? We have some duty to benefit people, um, like we talked about a little bit about the outset. And so that kind of triggers, uh, you know, the idea that, well, um, you know, I have an opportunity here. There's no cost to me, right? All I got to do is uh, uh, flip a switch. Um, you might think, look, where there's no cost, right? You, you, you to yourself, you should, you should try to benefit other people. And if you've got to choose between benefiting more rather than less, at least in that kind of case, it seems on the face of it plausible that you would save the greater number. 
Now, of course, yeah. things get more complicated when you have other versions of the trolley problem, um, where it isn't just that you're pulling a lever, but it's where you're, for example, uh, on a bridge that's over top of some tracks. Um, uh, again, the a trolley is hurtling along. It's going to go under the bridge and uh, continue on the tracks and hit five people. Um, on the bridge with you is a, a really large guy. Uh, let's call him Bob. Uh, yeah. And um, turns out you're strong enough to uh, push Bob onto the tracks uh, before the uh, trolley um, uh, passes uh, underneath it. And Bob's big enough that he'll stop the trolley. Yeah. So there you're saying, look, should I should I kill uh, uh, Bob um, uh, or should I just let it, it go on to the five? Now, lots of people who are convinced that in the first case, you should pull the lever are convinced that you shouldn't push Bob <laughs> onto the tracks. Right. Right. Even though to do it's so would be to save the greater number. Yeah. So mm -hmm. that, so that sort of speaks to this issue of, right, at what point do we think um, the numbers aren't sufficiently uh, important enough that it would justify, in effect, killing someone or, yeah. or you know, or pushing someone to their death. Right. I mean, in the first case, you're 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 killing someone too. But then the question is, how do you how do you deal with this? Well, you might say, look, in the first case, you're not really intending to kill the one you're foreseeing. That's a byproduct. So you know, maybe that's okay, right? So you you know, it's maybe it's easier to justify just you know foreseeing the one will be killed. As opposed to if you intended it, but in the case where you're pushing Bob, you're really intending that he's, you know, killed. And so I think it's like that, the the physical you know, touch of like touching yeah. Bob and violently right. pushing him is different than right. just like indirectly pulling a lever. Yeah, right. It's, so it turns it feels out from, different. That's right. So it turns out for many people who sort of studied this sort of philosophically and psychologically that the the touching is really what's doing a lot of the work. And so then some people say claim well. Why would the touching, why does that matter? Why is that an important uh, element? W why does the sort of physical proximity to the person make a difference? So, you know, you can change the scenario in all kinds of ways. So just for example, um, suppose, you know, you're not on the bridge this time with Bob, he's up there. Um, uh, uh, Bob is standing on a trap door, right? And you're a kind of, uh, you know, uh, 50 feet away and you can operate the trap door you can pull the lever and he can drop down onto the tracks, um, you know, and stop the, stop the trains. Some people are like, yeah, maybe that's scenario. okay. Maybe yeah. that's okay. Cause it's not touching anymore. Right. And then there's sort of a famous, like if you're worried about the intending issue, or maybe you're using Bob as a mere means, someone has said there's other scenarios. This is a scenario due to the um, American philosopher, Judith Jarvis Thompson. It's a case where, um, the the track is now um so it's not sort of a fork like this it's it kind of comes around in a circle um and there's one on this part of the circle and and one on uh, the five on the other hand at the present moment it's at you know going down the track it's going to go toward the five but you can switch it onto the onto the one because you know the one will stop and slow down the trolley before it gets to the five there it looks like you know you're intending to kill bob you're kind of using him as a means to stop the trolley from killing the five. But a lot of people are like, yeah, maybe that's okay. So then, so then that take brings us back to, okay, well, so what is the real difference, the moral difference between yeah. the first case where we think, yeah, it's okay to switch the lever and the case where we're pushing bar, we're like, nah, is it just touching? In which case maybe touching isn't all that important. Maybe it's just a psychological thing. 
And then some people have tried to analyze this psychologically and just say, well, look, it's this, this thought we have about why it's wrong to um, push Bob as kind of a leftover from when we were creatures in many smaller groups way back in our evolutionary history. And, you know, pushing was considered to be sort of like, you know, really, really uh, destructive of group cohesion. Uh, huh. But we might think, well, what, what was important to us there may not be so important to us now. So maybe it's okay to push him. <laughs> That's so interesting. Anyway, yeah. I feel like a really, a really violent comparison is like the difference of like shooting a bunch of people versus like if you physically went up and choked them all out. Like, I don't know. That's a very violent, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's mm -hmm. a very different. Uh, I think it would be very emotionally draining if you're any person with some kind of like, I don't know. I mean, if someone's doing that, they're probably not much well, on the uh, psychic. Well, uh, yeah, like I'm sure there <laughs> are a lot of people, for example, for example, who think things like, um, you know, I wouldn't pull out somebody's fingernails like to get information out of them. Yeah. But, you know, I might lock them in a cell and just like blast them with Metallica. Which is like just as bad. 45 <laughs> hours. To make the, you know, even though maybe the harm to the person is the same. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, like you even look at like um, like uh, soldiers and people who have gone through like conflict. Like it's way worse emotionally and mentally to, you know, have to stab somebody than to just hit a button and, you know, shoot a missile. Yeah. Like yeah. There's a huge difference. I, I I don't know. Like, so a part of me thinks it's something about looking somebody in the eyes. There's and a there's doing a really, it yourself. There's a really good movie I watched with uh, Anthony Mackie in it. Essentially, it's the movie's about a uh, a drone pilot gets um it makes a decision, pushes a button, and the result is half of the squad um, that he was trying to protect ends up being blown up, but the other half is saved. Whereas if he didn't, the whole squad would have been blown up, but they take him and they put him on the ground with Anthony Mackie's character. And he has to deal with this like, oh, now it's personal type thing because I'm on the ground in the conflict kind of thing. So it deals exactly with that sort of situation. Yeah. And, and, and that speaks to an extremely important issue about how, you know, technological innovations in war um yeah. can really have a huge impact on you know the number of deaths that occur i mean i'm sure there are some technical you know technological innovations that minimize death or harm mm -hmm. right but i'm sure there are some that don't so look if 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 um it turns out that using a drone to kill people makes it much easier to kill that might be a really strong reason not to use them as opposed to some other uh, yeah. military intervention or not. Um, and so you might think, yeah, the way, the way to sort of help people think about, you know, the costs and benefits of, of using these technologies is, as you say, introduce them to sort of different contexts in which, right. Mm -hmm. Um, they're being called upon to do the very same things. That's yeah, a great film. And a great, there's some great kind of thing about like, once humans just can't reach a certain number, like when we think about something like the Holocaust, no human can picture how horrible it was. Yeah. Uh, Dev and I like went to Auschwitz one time and, and, like, I, I think when you learn it in class, like, you're like, okay, it's bad, but like, I yeah. just can't picture how bad Your it brain is. can't comprehend. That number. Like, 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 like I, I remember reading an example of it. Like, if you say, you know, Jessica so-and-so, uh, you know, a 14-year-old girl got kidnapped and murdered, and you see her picture, there's a great emotional reaction from that. Mm -hmm. But then if you say, you know, 14 thousand people got blown up due to a, a drone strike in a city your brain it, it dehumanizes it yeah you can't comprehend it and i think that's part of i, I don't know it just makes it i guess it just makes it easier because yeah. you don't picture them as people you picture them as numbers it was yeah. like the moment at auschwitz yes. where i think it kicked in was like 
when they have like the exhibits of all the hair and like the shoes and and then it was just like geez this is like it felt it felt human and personal and then then you're like that that it hit it hit so hard it's staggering yeah like if you think of you know five million six million Mm -hmm. um people killed you know in a kind of um you know state organized um genocide really yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it is, it's very hard to understand the gravity of that, right? And I think, you know, numbers, as you say, is part of our, um, you know, moral thinking when we think about, you know, what to do. But it's very hard once we get past a certain level to sort of think about, you know, what's the what's the gravity of that? And so th- this has a kind of, um, you know, importance in some context. Like, so, for example, going back to the, one of the things we've already discussed about charitable giving. You might think, oh, it's very easy to convince people to give charitably if we just give them statistics. Like, right. so you say, oh, well, you know, um, something like 17,000 children die per year in developing nations uh, who are under the age of five from preventable illnesses. Like some people are like, wow, that's a lot. But it doesn't it doesn't tend to have the same salience as, look, here's. Take a little girl from um, uh, Nigeria, which has the greatest number of people who live in what's called absolute poverty. Look, if you don't give her a dollar, right, she's going to die because she right. can't get some medication. I, mean, I think sometimes that has a sort of psychologically and stronger pull on us than you know, kind of big, big numbers. And there's been lots of kind of research done on this yeah. and how to attract people to to sort of do the right thing and, and you know, kind of work with the psychology that they come equipped with that we all come equipped with yeah my fa- my family used to do um like every christmas uh an organization called samaritan's purse used to do like a you you could adopt a kid adopt a right. kid in a in a third world country uh and you could write letters to them and you donate right. a little bit um and over the years just thinking about it and i was like are we like are we doing it just because there's a face right like are we doing it because we get a picture of this little girl who lives in poverty or are we doing it because we actually like, we, you know, like we don't, we actually feel something for that, that situation or that sort of thing. Or are we just checking the box of like, I live in a good country, you know? Yeah. I mean, it can be more compelling if we can put a face, I think, to yeah. to what we're doing. Like we help this person get a ruler or a textbook or a uniform yeah. or oral rehydration tablets or whatever. Yeah, one charity I, I donate to is like a, they're called Charity Water, and and what they do that's really interesting is like because uh, they're trying to get clean water to the whole world basically, uh, but they'll tell you like you donate this much a month, you've given one person clean water. So I think it's like thirty dollars US gives one person clean water every month, and then they have this whole tab where if you've don't, been donating them for you know two years, it'll show you how many people you've affected. Like not affected, that sounds bad, but like improve their life i guess yeah uh and uh yeah i think like that tangible thing like you definitely feel something more whereas if you're just shelling out money although like it's the same thing i guess but i think we like to maybe see they'll send like videos too of like we just created this well in this country and here's like this dramatic sad video or, or like exciting video to help you like really get like a tangible feeling of here's where my money's going um, yeah i mean i think that's very good things. Yeah, I think it's very good for charities to obviously give give you feedback on what they've done with your money. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, because obviously uh, at the end of the day, if you're going to give a charity money, you want them to do it uh, charitable giving effectively. But uh, there's this other dilemma that I uh, 
based off of a TV show. And sure. the whole the whole show is based around this one dilemma. We've talked about it before. Um, and I think it was one like I was trying to think of ones that we talked about and never came to a clear consensus on. So uh, basically, it goes, uh, you're a judge, a very well-known and respected one. However, one day your son is involved in a hit and run. He hit another teenage boy on a motorcycle and freaked out, froze, and left him dead on the side of the road. As a judge, you decide your best course of action would be to have your son go back to the police station and confess, as the story has made national news and it's likely he will, he will be found out eventually. However, once you arrive at the police station to confess, you see one of the largest mob bosses in the country with his wife in his arms crying. You put two and two together and realize that your son must have killed the monster, the mobster's son. You know that if your son confesses, your and your family's life could be in danger, as this mob boss wouldn't take the death of his son lightly. However, if he doesn't confess, this would force you to help cover up the crying, ruining your integrity as a judge, and let's be honest, a person. What do you do? Um, I, I, we talked about this a while ago, and I can't fully remember, but when I watched the TV show, I think my first instinct would be like, I'm going to protect my son, not going to confess to it, because yeah. I feel like the risk of this mobster is, is more scary to me than the risk of like the justice system. He would at get least I mean. get an ass whooping, though. Like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah, He's yeah. not getting off scot-free. <laughs> um, but I don't think we ever came to a clear consensus because the, no. the TV show, of course, it he he doesn't confess uh, okay. and it all goes downhill from there. And then right. it starts to play out, which I think tells you probably what the better choice is. But right. So so it's a it's a good one. Um, so in, in one way, um, uh, it, it, it's not clearly an ethical dilemma. So um, probably it will be unsurprising to you guys to um, uh, think that, um, you know, something being beneficial to you or being in your self-interest, you know, gives you reasons to do it. Right. And, and more importantly, right, um, you're, you're allowed to give yourself and the people you love, you know, greater attention, give their well-being more attention than people who are strangers. That's kind of, you know, part of our conventional thinking. Mm -hmm. But so um, uh, in one way, the judge might not be in a moral dilemma, but he might be like, OK, well, you know, we should confess. You know, that's that's kind of a moral requirement. We should, you know, come clean um, uh, with respect to our crimes, do the right thing and turn ourselves in versus like, you know, that's going to be bad for me. My, my son's going to go to jail. My family member is going to be. Hurts. You might be thinking it's a conflict between kind of his self-interest and between what seems to be, you know, the, the right moral choice. But maybe it's more complicated in that in that he says, look, I'm, I, I, I see that there is a moral requirement for my son to confess, but but I care about and love my son. I have some preference for him. So maybe I have some obligation to help him avoid justice and, and more importantly, avoid the wrath of this um, mob boss. Mm -hmm. But probably, I guess. What I, what I would want to say is, well, the judge has got a lot at stake here, right? Um, and his son's got a lot at stake here. So probably the right thing to do is just like get into witness protection program. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't think, right, yeah. you're going to be able to protect yourself against the mob boss. Go to the police, say this is what's happened. Um, you know, uh, we will, we'll, you know, we'll plea bargain it out. We'll, we'll accept the costs uh, but now we're screwed and um can we try to get into some kind of protect protective <laughs> yeah. uh, program yeah. um I, I don't know how compelling that would be to the authorities but yeah it's a that's a difficult <laughs> kind of uh, 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 case because it's probably unlikely 
that, um, you know, he's not going to get caught. Then if he gets caught, right, he's got the justice system after him, the mob yeah. boss after him. Yeah. Like there's, you know, and then the justice system is going to be much less um, uh, uh, favorable toward him when he says, oh, well, look, uh, you know, I need extra protection here because, you know. My son's wiped out this mob boss's yeah. son. So probably <laughs> self-interest uh, indicates you should just um, go to the authorities, do what you yeah. can to cooperate and get the best outcome for yourself, right? And yeah. for your family. Yeah, that's probably correct. I think uh, our emotional response in the moment would probably be like, you you know, when you walk into the police station, it's already a heavy emotional state. And oh, you yeah. see like, oh, crap, this is yeah. extra bad now. Like, yeah. I think most people would probably run away at that second uh yeah but yeah i think when you weigh out the scenarios that eventually it's going to be found out and if now you've hidden it from the police the mobster's probably going to even be more mad about yeah. that like how you still haven't confessed to it the right. now the the justice right. system is going to be more mad at you for not confessing to it so yeah it's probably yeah. it's yeah, obvious you I guess, to you spell it out yeah yeah you go to him you say look my son's made this horrible problem you know it'd be more difficult if like you know you went to the mob boss and said look i've done this thing um, to your son, I'm very sorry. What can I do? And the mob boss says, "Well, look, in exchange for me not uh, exacting my revenge, um, you know, next week or in the coming months when my associates come before you, um, you have to give them light sentences." That's a more you know. Then what do you do, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Then that yeah that turns into another moral problem for the judge <laughs> well yeah. so that's basically what i mean where i haven't said what the show is called so i'm just going to spoil it but uh basically it is kind of what happens is that eventually the mob boss and the judge like to judge in order to protect his son is starts performing favors for the mob boss that is what happens and yeah then it just it all goes downhill of course it gets <laughs> it's it's definitely the better choice just to confess and imagine how crappy the show it. would be if they had just been like yeah right away done the moral thing and then just like one season over yeah, yeah. yeah. not even yeah. i know you can't two you episodes can't in over stories <laughs> here's where people yeah. will make the moral choice because it's much less exciting yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you have any dilemmas for us to really catch us so, off guard here so we talked a little bit about them maybe i'll i'll i'll, I'll think of a couple other ones so um, one is um, just to get back to uh, some of the uh, examples we were talking about with respect to, um, you know, what to do in cases where um, you can save um, a, a one group of people or another group of people, but not both groups of people. So here's an example. Suppose you have some vaccine for a, um, uh, a serious um uh, virus virus okay <laughs> um and there's five people in one group and one person in the other group can't save all six and um in in the uh, f group of five people uh, each of those people needs one fifth of the um vaccine uh right uh, and th uh, the one person needs all of it so you could save the five or the one so then you ask yourself what's the right thing to do and so most of us will say what? The five. Save the five. Save yeah. the five. Save the greater number. So then someone comes along and says, okay, great. It makes sense to make that kind of judgment in cases where the harm that's going to befall the people in the groups is the same. Right? So if you don't give it to the five, they all each die. If you don't give it to the one, that one dies. Right. Okay. So then they have the same, the same is at stake. Well, take another case as an extreme example. So you have um, uh, um, 
this, some medicine where it, you could give it to, to one person um, and save his life. Or, you know, if you got to screen out all kinds of empirical things, but this is a, a hypothetical. So, or you could use the medicine, maybe you can break it all up and put it into a, a thousand glasses of water, each glass is a little bit, and cure a thousand headaches. Right. So should you cure the thousand? Imagine the headaches summed up to a harm that was greater than the death. Right. Is it okay in that case to save the so-called greater number? Right. Hmm. That's interesting because my brain automatically goes, "Well, how bad are that are the individual yeah. headaches?" <laughs> well, just just, ima- just imagine like each headache is like, "Oh my god, this is horrible," and it's lasting for let's say a whole day. And so you right. add up all those thousand day long headaches, and you say, "Woo! Now that's a really horrible, you know, pain." And then yeah. you weigh it against say the the the, the life uh, of the person you might say look what's the right thing to do if if it really was true that the headaches swelled to a larger harm than the um loss of the life if you accepted saving the five and the one in the first case why not in the second case right right i think uh because is it because like death is much worse than maybe a headache I think the only way I could maybe make sense right. of it was like one of one of those a thousand headaches. You know, one was like a Good. pilot and they crashed the plane because they had such right. a bad headache. Yeah. But it was like a brain surgeon that messed up his surgery because his headache was so bad. Yeah. Right. But otherwise, so it's to... like a thousand headaches. It's like, OK, people have headaches. They get over them. Whereas death is like, well, he's dead. We could have stopped right. that. Yeah. So that's so that's great. So some people will think, OK, what the right way to do to make this decision is, is to compare not the sort of sum of all the headaches, but the harm of a headache to one person versus the harm of the loss of the life. And so you right. do what are called pairwise comparisons. And you say, well, look, since nobody in the headache group loses something as great as a life, right, on the individual basis, it's permissible then for you to, maybe it's even obligatory for you to save the life mm-hmm, right? right so what's interesting about that is what you're saying is well um um we shouldn't really make ethical decisions on the basis of summing harms and benefits right because if we do that then we'll get cases where okay we have a million million people million billion people each of whom has a very tiny headache that harm will outweigh some one life and if we sum people's harms, we might have to say we should cure the headaches before we should save the life. And so you get what might call perverse outcomes. But the, the rub is if you just do these individual comparisons, right, um, uh, you have to suggest that we don't really um, or can't really avail ourselves of sort of this summing of harms and benefits to make decisions in cases where people are going to suffer the same harm. So five people lose their life or one people lose it. So then how do we make those decisions? Right. So because if we do the comparison on the one on one, nobody in the five loses anything more than the one. Does that mean when we decide what to do, we can flip a coin? <gasps> well, so we're like, no way, right? We should, of course, say it's a five. So then we've got to work out a moral a way of thinking that allows us to say, no to saving headaches over lives 
and yes to saving more lives over less without this idea that we can sum the harms and benefits of individuals into some group harm or benefit. And so that's the sort of thing that philosophers have to deal with. And some people have tried to to do that. Um, And that's been a kind of area in moral philosophy where um, there have been some gains made. And of course, they're very important, you know, from the point of view of things like how do we, um, you know, deal with uh, things like pandemics, right? Uh, is, is Is it okay for us to, you know, tell people to stay home, maybe at great cost to their mental health? Um, in order to save lives, if we do the pairwise comparison, well, none of us who stayed at home, well, anyway, us at least haven't suffered anything as someone would if they lost their life. So maybe it's okay then to, yeah. right? Um, but yeah. you might think after a while, right, maybe the costs, like people are like our mental health, we might be saying, look, maybe the costs are adding up to such a large amount that we might accept that it will be okay to open things up so we will get yeah. the benefits, even though we know that it will lead to people uh getting sick and potentially losing their life so it's a tr- yeah. tricky area but it's but it's it's a very important area in which to yeah. mm-hmm. um think f- from the point of view of kind of public policy decisions and, and things of this nature yeah i think that's a good segue because um definitely these days it's just like i feel like every time i read the news or go on social media it's like there's just all these ethical issues just yeah. put in front of us or like people saying certain statements that you're like i'm not sure how to feel about that uh, whether it's people like being super fearful of COVID or people are super, uh, you know, don't believe in it. And you're like, uh, they might have facts that seem true, but they're not necessarily on both sides. And yeah, I feel like every day it's just like ethics seems really important. And it seems like a thing that not enough, not enough of us talk about. So I yeah. wanted to t- kind of talk about, uh, I'm sure every day you go through life uh, thinking a lot about ethics, obviously. Uh, I, try. I, think, I try. Yeah, yeah. I try. <laughs> <laughs> and what are some tips that you have for people as they just go through their daily life and make certain decisions that might be hard about like, or read certain things that they're not sure how to feel about how to like come to conclusions on? Like, is there some sort of checklist? Like these five <laughs> right. things, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, so, um, of course I really wish I could give you skeletons checklist Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. would cure all your problems. Of course I can't. That'd make life too easy, I think. Yeah. One thing that is always really, really important. Um, well, there's two things. Um, um, maybe this says more about me than it says about ethics. But the first thing is, and this is often very hard, is just get straight on the facts. You can't make any ethical decision without getting clear on the facts. How serious is an infection of COVID-19 for men of your age, mm-hmm. right? Um, um, how many um, uh, deaths will we uh, 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 likely see if we, you know, allow malls to open up in two weeks. So, so you, you have to get clear really on the facts. That's going to be the basis of your judgment. And of course, that's hard. And so, you know, you have to uh, explore widely because there's lots of experts who tend to be that their um, attitudes or their views will be more worthy than others. But of course, there's mm-hmm. conflicts between and disagreements, reasonable ones between experts so so you have to be very careful and there you're 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 really making judgments and you're you're thinking about whom to trust and so you've got to you got to be diligent and inquire so you got to have the virtue of being curious and mm. inquisitive right so you got to get clear on the facts and that requires a kind of virtue of being curious and inquisitive right so that's sort of one thing um the other thing as you sort of alluded to this before don't panic right <laughs> yeah. right yeah. panicking right i panic a lot 
And I find every time I panic, it doesn't lead to good outcomes. So, yeah. so you have to not panic, right? You have to say, look, this has happened. My son has taken out this um, drug lord's son. That's <laughs> happened. There's no going back. There's no reversing. Yeah. You know, don't panic and don't dwell on the past. It's happened. The way to solve it is to go forward. So you got the facts. Okay. You've got a sober head. You're inquisitive and curious. Um, and then third, and, 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 and really important, this kind of speaks to the importance of kind of sociality amongst human beings, is do what you're doing. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to learn something from other people, their perspective, you know, their point of view. You might not think about certain kinds of things that they will think about, right? And I think that's, you're really going to come to, to, to solutions that way. So, um, you know, f- philosophers often are thought of as being people who are really um, solitary, in fact, it's absolutely untrue. It's one of the most social activities you can engage in because it turns out you can't really do it that well alone. You need other people, whether that's in formal settings, you know, you go to conferences, you talk to your colleagues, you, you, you seek out people's uh, uh, views on your articles and writings, but also just, just blokes like you, right? Mm-hmm. People like you who, you know, you have perspectives, you have views, you've got experiences. It's really good to get those perspectives and of course you know in our society we're trying to broaden the perspectives we have so there's um you know multicultural perspectives you know certainly when we think about what kind of country we want to have we want to talk about you know french canadians english canadians first nations canadians inuit canadians right we want to think about sexism and racism and prejudice we're trying to bring all those things in it's very complicated of course but but chatting widely and diversely in my experience, often leads to greater understanding and, and just more kind of grist for your mill. But also, it's often a way to get consensus. So those, are, I guess, are my three. Those are my three things, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I find I find a lot of those are in at least like today's culture and society. A lot of those are lacking. Yeah. Especially on like <clears throat> social media and stuff like that. People don't <clears throat> talk to each other. People no. don't you know, um, dig into the facts and dig into other yeah, people's worlds. There's views. no research done on anything. No, they like, just, well, they, they're like a dog like with research. a bone. They just grab <laughs> something and just I go. Mean, it's confirmation bias, right? Like I, I saw something someone shared about COVID. It's like you could believe and have facts for anything you want to believe about COVID because there'll be some expert that that confirms exactly how you feel. Yeah. Uh, and that goes for any issue now. The Internet's so dang huge and there's it, experts on everything you could possibly want to believe and you could just confirm that and but that's not ethical to just go into something i want to confirm my opinion oh i found someone that confirms it boom i'm done you know no no indeed that's exactly right i mean so so um i don't know where i heard this the other day but it was somewhere maybe it was in a tv show actually but it seemed to me to be Mm. absolutely right one of the reasons why american society for example is so divided is not that they have value conflicts is that they can't agree on the same facts yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and, in, and, and in one way, yeah. you're illustrating kind of why that is, because what they're doing is they're not sort of this is a, this is a kind of crude, but but this is basically how you could explain it is, is they're not going out into the world and saying, you know, what's happened out there. Right. Is the is the earth warming? Right. Mm-hmm. Are infections rising? Right. Do lockouts work? Mm-hmm. Right. Or lo- sorry, lockdowns work. Um, you know, they're 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 in their mind saying, um, uh, I don't want to stop driving. Uh, I don't want to stop going to a restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, okay, those are my wants. Now I'm going to marshal the facts and get mm. a kind of myopia that's going to serve yeah. my 
right, uh, my attitude. So, of course, it would be unsurprising to find that, you know, lots of the people who were anti-lockdown were people who were negatively financially very affected by that. I can totally yeah. understand that. And that's, I think, why we need things like CERB to help people, you know, stay safe and stay financially stable, but also just it allows them that ability to say, yeah, okay, I would have been anti-lockdown, but I realize that might have only been because I really want to make money, right? Yeah, so yeah. it allows them opportunities to really, you know, become sort of more, you know, this is not, not meant in a, any bad way, but just more rational, just more yeah. receptive to to evidence and, and to thinking. Because of course, yeah, we don't want to think of the facts as something that serves our our interests, because that's not really how evidence is supposed to work. Evidence is supposed to be in some sense, kind of the thing we rely on before we make judgments about what things we should or um, ought to do. I mean, yeah. there's, so, there's some difficulties there. It's more nuanced than that, but that's kind of one way you could think about it. Well, it's like uh, what uh, Sherlock Holmes says, you know, the facts before the theory, not the theory before the facts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exact yeah. same idea. Yeah, I think that that's really good. I feel like as cheesy as it is, like human connection is like super important. And very just, important. If you disagree with someone, like talk it out, and and yeah. you don't have to convince people of, like you don't need everyone to believe what you believe. Yeah. Um. Even if even if the other person is definitely wrong, like you know, in <laughs> some ethical dilemmas, we're like, okay, it's definitely bad to do certain things. If they disagree with you, I mean, whatever, they can do what they want to do. But and and it's very and the thing is, we goes back to one of the themes we already touched on. Like when you know somebody with whom you have a conflict. It's it's much easier to sort of understand where they're coming from. And it's much harder for them to go away and say, you know, I want to hurt or harm that person. Like yeah. understanding contact, it really does breed a certain appreciation and also maybe a little bit of, you know, hopefully some some tolerance. But yeah, it, I mean, it's one sort of, you know, kind of um, reason I think traveling is really important. Going to other you know, diverse places is you get a real understanding of what it's like to live somewhere else, what their perspectives are, where they're coming from, you know, just getting out of your comfort zone, your bubble. I think it's really, really important. I think, you know, talking and, and interacting with people is really, yeah, you're going to really make important. our, you're going to make our egos go right through the ceiling there. On our last episode, we had a whole conversation <laughs> about how important travel is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, our foreheads it, are hitting it, the everyone, ceiling right now. Everyone's going to think we paid you to say that. So. <laughs> no, no, it was, I'm unpaid, happy to be unpaid. No, but I think it's a very important thing. But yes, getting together, talking with people, it's really important. I think that's one thing about the pandemic that, uh, you know, we've probably we've met, we've missed. We found other ways to do it, and that's great. But um, I haven't yeah, realized. Yeah, I think people like as as things are starting to open up you know hopefully soon but as you're seeing it like in the united states and stuff and other parts of the world where things are opening up like just i think everyone's realizing how much they miss like legit human connection yeah. like yeah. uh just being around like i find you know i'm around like close friends and family but like i'm never around sh like strangers or like acquaintances where like i feel like i'm more tested socially and, and sometimes it's just nice to be around people you don't know that well or people like that you yeah you like to see but you don't you don't see often and like yeah yeah i think everyone just feels drained emotionally yep. of like all our buckets are so empty of like new experiences and social interaction of just every day you wake up do the same thing yeah so like i, I don't know i just can't wait till and which is why i think like also all these uh ethical issues and all this division is like has been brewing so much during covid it's not even necessarily that things are are coming out always it's just that everyone is just like festering on stuff so much and we're not connecting the way that we should to it's all happening in forms that it's just not it's just not good and yeah 
Yeah, that's a, it's a lot of information. It's new. It's novel so for most of us. It's yeah. getting a, it's having a real impact to really everyone's life. And also, yeah. you know, we're, we're seeing in many ways, you know, um, you know, who in our society does well, whatever happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Some people do really well, whatever happens. Right. They can stay home and their value of their house rises and their job stays and they get mm-hmm. paid. And some people don't. Right. It's very hard. They get evicted mm-hmm. from their apartments. I think we're kind of, you know, we're, we're seeing that. And so I think that's sort of an important, you know, kind of piece of information for how we should think about what we want to uh, you know, look like as a society into the future. Maybe it's true that we need, you know, always to have something like CERB for people where we give people a guaranteed income so that yeah. they mm-hmm. are able to, you know, make ends meet and, and they don't have to, you know, take risks or they don't have to, um, you know, think in certain kinds of ways to justify their activities and so on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've heard about like the whole living wage thing. And I think everyone's initial reaction is they're like, no, that's bad. People are going to take advantage of it. But I listened to uh, uh, what's his name? He ran for president in the in the US. Can't remember his name. But anyways, he was big on on living on living wage. And he like spelled it out in a way that's just like people having a certain amount of income they can depend on every month actually improve society because they don't have to stress about like just living like surviving they're yeah. actually able if you're able to know like okay i have enough money to survive i can worry about like moral issues i can be a better part yeah. of society because i'm not just trying to just get by every day but yeah I mean, yeah and there have been some social experiments with uh you know guaranteed incomes and some of yeah. them have proven that that uh, you know they're very beneficial for a lot of people that do things like go back to school so they invest in their future people pay off debts right people invest in their children um uh, you know, and so these are beneficial things. It's 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 more common that people do um, you know beneficial things with it than that they um, you know just waste it just or whatever. I mean, yeah, obviously, there's going to be they just steal some waste or... to every social program, but yeah. but it, mm. it, at least in some contexts. I mean, I, you know, we'd have to test this in other uh, cases, um, yeah. make sure it's the right policy. But it has some looks on the face like it has some beneficial definitely outcomes. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, there's so many things we'd we'd love to talk to you about. <laughs> yeah. So maybe one day. Well, we'll you have can have to... me back again. I've got lots yeah, of things we'll, to talk about. We'll yeah. uh, we'll pull you on because there's some topics I was like, oh, I want to dive into this. Yeah. But we're like, oh, we'll hold off because you don't want to talk for. Don't want to be a four-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. Not the Joe Rogan show here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, right. thank you so much for coming on yeah. and for sharing your insight. And we'll uh, we'll probably be in touch again. Uh, and Great. Hope, Thanks hope so everyone, much for having. Hope everyone keeps having good human connections. Yeah. yeah, me too. Thanks so much, guys, for having Thank me. Thank you. Appreciate it. it was a pleasure. Good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Did you know that Mountain Dew lowers the amount semen. of uh, semen that you can so that's produce? That's probably good for the rest of us. I don't think we want Devin reproducing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Consider it a favor. <laughs> <laughs> anyways it's the next day after our interview with anthony skelton and uh yeah i i, I learned Fun i guy. learned a whole bunch Fun guy. i don't i don't know about you guys i learned that the decisions we made were <laughs> terrible <laughs> and we chose to steal from the people mm. instead of uh i mean the the it's it's his job to like tell people all that nitpick they're wrong. and like yeah. and yeah essentially right like you did a good job. So I call it the dilemma dudes <laughs> yeah. exposed episode is what it was. Exposed, yeah. <laughs>
I felt I I felt I don't know. He brought up a lot of cool stuff and like a lot of cool like different sides to the stories mm-hmm. that we clearly like just didn't even think about. Definitely, like thinking about um, yeah the amount of people affected from every decision. Which I mean, we were on to some things. Like he said some things that we've said before we did, that like, we never we never learned. We were just like, oh, that's probably a good idea. Yeah. I think we're philosophers, yeah. basically. We're <laughs> yeah, uneducated I mean, philosophers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think some yeah. of the earliest philosophers weren't really educated. They were just guys that just thought a lot. Looked up at the stars and was like, mm-hmm. whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were just high. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe this is a philosophy podcast. Uh, you know, it's not really, it's not educational. But it's not uneducational. I feel like philosophers yeah. can just say whatever they want, and it's just their thoughts. You know, that's what we do here. Yeah, we're philosophers. Welcome to the Dilemmas Podcast. Uh, three <laughs> philosophers. Just... <laughs> now I'm curious we're about what it takes to be to call yourself philosopher. Friends. Yeah, three philosophers discussing philosophy. <laughs> the philosopher. It sounds like a dinosaur. <laughs> philosophers. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it, it was oh, a good man. time it's a good time but we'll definitely have him on again i think he'll maybe be one of our like resident our uh, resident philosopher resident our, philosopher, our resident actual resident philosopher. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah i think the plan is to have him on again and so uh use our dilemma dudes form it still exists um, in season two of Dilemma yeah. Dudes, the family, the family form. form still exists. So the family if form. you have any questions, the philosophy family yeah, form. if you have any questions for, you know, if, if you want actual, maybe decent advice, not our horrible advice, <laughs> uh, you could put that on there too. We'll, of course, still give our opinion. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. you know, we don't want this to be too smart of a podcast, you know, just that wouldn't be good if it was too smart. Yeah. Then we have to, then we're held to a higher standard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and set the bar that's, low that's no good exactly, exactly that's no good we'll never exactly. meet it <laughs> but we'll uh just constant disappointments <laughs> that was our that was our first our first big interview of season two of dilemma dudes we have a few more planned so yeah. so stay tuned um and we'll still have some good old dilemma dudes mixed in with this uh educational dilemma dudes um yeah so thank you yeah. for listening yeah. and we'll see you next week Cool. Bye. Bye. Bye.